Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis XIV, and this is a B-side episode. Before we get into that, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you're listening to it right now. We're on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod, and I'm at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Twitter and Instagram. We also have merch available at poppantheonpod.com. And our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where we publish at least three bonus episodes of the show per month, is available at patreon.com slash poppantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Live events coming up. We have Gorgeous Gorgeous happening in New York City for Halloween on October 27th at the Sultan Room in Bushwick. Tickets for that will be available in the show notes of this episode. So I hope to see you guys at Spooky Gorgeous. And then, of course, a few days later on November 2nd in Los Angeles, we have Pop Pantheon's first live show, Pop Pantheon Live, Britney's Memoir, Music, and Legacy at the Crawford in Pasadena plus a Britney installment of Gorgeous Gorgeous afterwards. So tickets for that will also be available in the show notes of this episode. That is November 2nd, again, at the Crawford in Pasadena. All right, so for this week's B-side, we are talking about country music. Now, that might seem slightly outside of Pop Pantheon's normal purview, but there's been a recent trend where a series of country songs have scaled the Billboard Hot 100 in record-breaking fashion. And it's not just any country songs. It is country songs by cis white men, many of whom are using identity politics either explicitly or implicitly in their rise. So I asked The Atlantic's Spencer Kornhaber, who's written about this numerous times, about this trend of country crossover and exactly what constitutes this moment of pop success for these specific kinds of country artists and songs, to come on the show and help taxonomize this moment for us in country crossover pop. Why is this happening now? Why are these specific type of dog whistle country songs by cis white men having such huge purchase on the pop charts right now? What are the factors musically? What are the extra musical factors that connect this to a broader political, social moment in our country and all the rest of it? So Spencer's on for that in one segment. Also, I just want to take a second to say Spencer has a great new book out called On Divas, Persona, Pleasure, and Power that you should definitely go buy. It's something that I think will interest most listeners of this podcast. And then we have a second segment where in light of sort of shining a light on some of these less savory songs and artists, I wanted to invite Marissa R. Moss, who's an incredible writer and writes a newsletter about country music that focuses specifically on artists that are less mainstream and less white, cis, hetero men to come on and recommend some great country music that's out there because this country music that you're hearing at the top of the charts this is not the totality of what's happening in country so i wanted marissa to come on and recommend five artists who are not cis hetero white men and who are making interesting music and deserve more attention to come on and help educate us about some of the great stuff that's happening on the margins of country right now and outside of the sort of mainstream so this is a two-segment episode kind of covering the state of country right now so without further ado here are my conversations with spencer kornhaber and marissa r moss all right, so I'm here with staff writer for The Atlantic, Spencer Kornhaber. Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I won't say howdy. <laughs> I'll say it. Howdy to you, Spencer. That's not my need of time. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about a topic that's actually been oft requested by our listeners, and it's about the current sort of, as you refer to it, boomlet 
of country crossover onto the sort of top of the Billboard charts. There's been this wave that has been defined by artists like Morgan Wallen and Jason Aldean and Zach Bryan and Oliver Anthony of a moment where it seems like country music or a very specific kind of country music, and we're going to get to exactly what that is, and a very specific brand of country star, has taken center stage on the pop charts in a somewhat novel way at this current moment. And maybe the other thing I should say is that you've written a number of articles for The Atlantic Mm -hmm. that are sort of taxonomizing this or pontificating on why this is. So that was why I thought you'd be a perfect guest for this episode. I guess my first question for you is, can you just sort of lay out this boomlet as you see it? Just sort of what are the main features of it? What have been the sort of most important chart achievements or I guess defining elements of what this country takeover on the Billboard Hot 100 in specific have been? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely been a surprising trend to me as someone who's covered pop music and kept an eye on the charts for a while now. When you have this many country stars suddenly appearing in places on the charts where they weren't appearing even like a year ago, you do have to stop and ask what's going on. The big meta story, which is something that we're talking about in pop music all the time lately, is that the charts are sort of like a war of the subcultures or like the mega subcultures these days. Mm. It's not everyone fighting for the center stage. It's, it's all these separate stages trying to be at the top of the flagpole that week. So in, in this era, something is going on with country music where that subculture is rising to the top more than the others. So, so Billboard has this great list of the chart achievements for country music this year. And I put it in print mode to look at and it's 19 pages long. So I won't Whoa. read them all. But <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we've had, I believe, four or five number ones this year from country. And and that's an achievement that hasn't happened since 1975. So definitely a historic moment. My question, I guess, in sort of getting into the weeds about that a little bit more is, I think your point is well taken that there has been these kind of like sub pop genres that have sort of taken the place that sort of traditional capital P pop has traditionally or largely held as like the de facto hit music in American culture. And the one that sort of comes to mind the most for me in recent times is when rap music and hip hop and rappers essentially took over the center of pop music, it seemed from basically the late 10s into the early 2020s in a way that it has receded, I guess maybe in the last year or so, and has kind of made way in a way for this next sort of subgenre of country to sort of taking the place that I guess maybe more traditional pop music as we've thought about it in the past has sort of held as like the dominant genre or the genre that we would assume would be sort of at the center of the quote unquote popular music conversation. But the thing is, I guess maybe is that it's not just country music. There's a very specific brand of country music and a very specific type of country star that is defining this quote unquote boomlet. Can you talk a little bit about who these guys are and what kind of music they're making exactly? The ones that are having this sort of massive crossover success? Right, right. So if you were to pull out a trend among the stars who have hit number one this year from country, you would say something like they are all white men. That is the trend. <laughs> right. They actually don't all sound alike. They don't all come from the same places. They aren't working in the same traditions. They aren't working with the same producers. Rather, it's kind of like quite a musical mismatch if you listen to these songs back to back. But there appears to be something going on with identity. It's an identity and demographic story for sure. So at the top of the list is Morgan Wallen, who's been an absolute powerhouse in country and really in pop music and in global pop music for the past couple of years, who is from Tennessee and first got a 
start on The Voice. Mm. He was Shakira's pick, but he went with Usher, just kind of a <laughs> telling subplot because his music draws a lot from hip hop and R&B. Mm-hmm. And he really represents the kind of gleaming culmination of a lot of Nashville trends over the past 10 years. You may have heard of the concept of bro country, which is a swaggering, male-driven country music with a lot of hip-hop influence. Mm-hmm. And definitely Morgan Wallen is building upon that tradition. He also has a complicated public persona that has involved (laughs) a supposed cancellation or one instance of using racist language and the controversy only making him more popular. His 2021 album was far and away the most popular album of that year. And it appears right now that his new album from this year may also be the most popular one of this year when all is said and done. So he's absolutely the juggernaut. And his song last night, there's a three-way tie for the number two most, how do I say this? (laughs) The longest running number one hit on the Hot 100. So Old Town Road by Lil Nas X is the longest running and won the Hot 100 ever. But in number two, there's a three-way tie and Morgan Wallen is there. And then you have Jason Aldean, who created the big social media political sonic firestorm of the summer (laughs) with his song, Try That in a Small Town. Jason Aldean has been around in Nashville for more than a decade now. You know, I think you would classify him as a bro country artist, but Mm -hmm. he's maybe a little more salt of the earth and less slick than that label might imply. He's had a number of hits. He's very bound up with the term hip hop, country music (laughs) influenced by hip hop, you know, but he kind of faded a little bit from the center stage until this song blew up and what blew it up was political controversy it's sort of a song baiting the libs and inviting urban people people who enjoy living the cities and and doing crime and breaking the liquor stores and burning the flag to come to a small town and try that where they'll meet vigilante justice The song had come out earlier this year, but it really didn't blow up until there was a music video with some incendiary imagery and that was shot against the backdrop of a site of a lynching. And this became a political firestorm and it, it shot the song to number one where it stayed for not very much time, but enough time to get it into the annals of history where we have to talk mm-hmm. about it for at least the next couple of years. Then we had another sort of echo of that incident with the rise of Oliver Anthony, really a complete unknown, someone who was literally just making music in his backyard in rural Virginia. But very quickly, he also became like a, a kind of celebrated cause on the right wing due to his song Richmond, North of Richmond, which also is like full of political content, or at least is, was perceived as being full of political content that was also about owning the libs, though he sort of pushed mm-hmm. back on that. Mm-hmm. And his sound is, it really doesn't have a lot to do with modern Nashville tropes. It's really more of a Appalachian folk song. It's, it's very right. spare and harrowing in sound. With an Richmond, North of Richmond, Lord knows it all, just wanna have 
So he's sort of the most mysterious of this bunch. It's clear that he was like part of his success has been driven by political power brokers touting him. But it also seems like he's kind of caught on with a new audience who is interested in a different sound or a different kind of message. And we can get into what that message might be. He's still sticking around towards the top of the charts. And then we have Zach Bryan, who is also somewhat out of nowhere, but he's had a bit of a rise. And he represents something different. He's a bit of a maybe from the alt country world, the uh, Mm -hmm. Americana leaning world, the Mm -hmm. world of country music that's in conversation with indie rock and blue state tastemakers. He's definitely the one with the most hipster cachet, mm-hmm. but he's, he's just blown up very quickly, I think, across quadrants. So his album that came out a couple years ago smashed all sorts of chart records and was big not just on the country charts, not just on the Hot 100, but also on the rock and alternative charts. He kind of bridges a few different lanes. A cold shoulder closing time You begging me to stay till the sun rose Strange words come on out of Pictures and passing time You only smile like that when you're drinking I wish I didn't, but I do Remember every moment on the nights with you One thing you said in your article was that streaming technology, not to mention social and political media, now rewards the inflaming of passionate pluralities, including sowing division. Inflaming stand versus stand or right versus left can prove profitable, at least for a short while. So one thing that seems to be a connective tissue that you seem to be pointing out here, at least for Wallen, Aldine, Anthony, and maybe for Luke Combs's fast car is there's some element whether it's like inherent in the artist themselves as it is with Morgan Wallen or explicitly in the lyrics of songs by Aldine and Anthony for instance that is as you mentioned about sort of inflaming or speaking to greater political divisions or using kind of as you kept saying the phrase owning the libs as a way to sort of garner attention or to become successful is that a fair characterization at least when we're talking about Wallen, Aldine and Anthony like is it true that that is kind of like a thing that seems to be connecting these songs and if that is true why do you think that is such a generative force that's allowing these songs to be such huge pop crossover hits, a space that has at least recently been hospitable to women, to black people, to some more marginalized Mm. communities. Like, why is it at this moment, is that an effective marketing strategy or ethos for these artists to be sort of tapping into? Right, right. It is a marketing strategy and it does not fully explain all of these artists' success, but certainly in the case of the Aldina and Anthony hit, it does. And there's some element of right-wing backlash that has kept Morgan Wallen in the conversation and and allowed him to thrive even at the height of controversy. And it's a really good question of why the right wing has found this ability recently. To me, it seems like they're maybe catching up to something that other subcultures or cultural nodes or tastemakers have kind of understood for a while, which is how to focus attention and create conversation in a way that drives attention, which is really what drives music listening in a way that wasn't always the case due to streaming. If everyone's talking about something on the internet one day, you're going to go play the video that's causing them to talk about it, and that is a stream. Mm. And so that is marketing, and so that allows these hooks to get into people's heads. So that's one way of thinking about it. It's also like the conservative media ecosystem is incredibly organized and incredibly potent and more potent than maybe any other media ecosystem is these days, you know, more able to drive conversation and attention than even like the quote unquote mainstream media, whatever that is anymore, is such a seemingly 
willfully directed apparatus, like the way that politicians are retweeting, commentators are chiming with the sentiment in comment sections. There's sort of like an organized fervor that's always roiling in the right-wing media ecosystem. And it's only recently maybe understood that it can use that kind of fervor to make a dent in the cultural industries that have been more typically dominated by Hollywood, the coasts, and also in a place where marginalized communities can gain some foothold in the broader cultural conversation. Yeah, it's hard to escape, you know, the feeling that the Morgan Wallen celebration and elevation is like Trumpian in some ways. I mean, that's something that's kind of crossed my mind in thinking about him a lot. It's almost like in the same way that in past eras, things that Donald Trump had done or said during his political campaign would have sunk him. Something about the way that our cultural conversation has shifted and the way that I guess maybe social media has become the forum for a lot of these things allowed him to essentially use that as rocket fuel. And I feel like in some ways not to sort of equate Morgan Wallen and the former president, but I sort of have felt that there's a similar energy behind it, which is that this concept of cancel culture and that sensitive latte drinking <laughs> libs are sort of setting the terms of what's acceptable and not acceptable and what can be said and can't be said. And and there's this pushback against that. It's part of what elevated Donald Trump to the presidency. It's this feeling that like, no, we are going to say these things. We feel quote unquote oppressed by political correctness or whatever right. it is or wokeness or whatever it is. And we're going to celebrate being unwoke and we're going to elevate people that can become avatars for that unwokeness and it feels to me that no matter what Morgan Wallen is singing about and we can get into the qualities of this as music at a certain point but it feels to me that Morgan Wallen's elevation has as much to do with perhaps his talents as a musician which again I want to discuss as it does about this feeling of like the left tried to cancel this man they banned him from SNL blah 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 and you know we're saying no to that we're elevating him we're celebrating him does that feel right to you? Yeah for sure but it's also a tendency that's long been in country music. Really, it's the Trump phenomenon retrofitted or or updated this sentiment that's really deeply defining of America, really, in general, of our cultural divisions, and that has long powered country music, which is just the feeling that people of the cities look down on the people outside the cities and places outside the cities are truer and more authentic places. And so that's like, it's a very potent, familiar script. And it's just getting sharpened and applied to our present political environment, for sure. But, you know, yeah, Morgan Wallen is not asking for this conversation in his music explicitly, but his music is all about that feeling of his girlfriends leaving him to go to the city and him being kind of bummed Mm. about it. And so that's kind of like a metaphor maybe for how the red states feel or something. Right. And you also point out in your piece that Aldine's song sort of centers around this idea that like the big city is violent and like all this crime happens and then sort of like in in small towns, like, you know, that's where like true American values lie and like society still like has the structure that like we all yearn for, make America great again, whatever. And just how much of like a falsehood that is even as just an idea or presentation in terms of like actual statistics about, you know, crime and et cetera. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, there are a lot of ways to kind of politically analyze that song, including just by fact checking it. And, uh, (laughs) you know, like in terms of statistics and crime rates, violent crime rates, murder rates, for the most part, rural America is scarier than urban America. Drug addiction, poverty, like those are bigger problems outside the cities than they are inside the cities. Right. And so there's 
no doubt a sense of malaise and resentment that's kind of being ricocheted in songs like that. That shows up in the sound of some of this music, especially the Jason Aldean song, which to me sounds like a song by Stained or Creed or Nickelback, one of these alternative rock moaning bands that I certainly loved when I was an angry 14-year-old boy. (laughs) There's something in the music that's really expressing this sort of unnameable pain and shame and redirecting it towards a boogeyman in the cities. And with the Oliver Anthony song, there's kind of been like an interpretation of what that song is about. And then he's kind of pushed back on that, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, the song is about basically working for no pay and feeling bummed out and sad about that, feeling like you can't get ahead in society and that there's fat cats somewhere else that are keeping you down. You know, very relatable sentiment for a lot of people, no matter their political persuasion. And for the most part, the song is just keying into that feeling. But there are just these lines that are clearly inspired by reading a lot of the internet Mm. and maybe going down some conspiracy theory rabbit holes. There's a line jabbing at people on welfare for spending their welfare money on junk food, which, Mm. you know, is not a major driver of inequality or exploitation of this country at all. That's not like a problem. (laughs) um, (laughs) Other than like in certain kind of Fox News baiting headlines. Mm -hmm. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge drowns. There's a line about politicians caring about miners on an island somewhere more than they care about actual miners in coal mines. You know, that's a reference to Jeffrey Epstein and his network of elite child abusers and sex pests, which is a bipartisan issue, but certainly has become kind of QAnon encoded in the last few years and Mm -hmm. connects to a really larger, scary way of thinking about the problems in America being the result of a pedophile, evil conspiracy held together by Democrats and, and various marginalized groups. I wish politicians look out for miners not just miners on an island somewhere. So a lot of things that are kind of dog whistly are in there. Oliver Anthony was cited at the first GOP presidential debate in the very first question, kind of like as a gimme to Ron DeSantis to talk about why people might relate to that song in Biden's America. And then Oliver Anthony posted a video saying that that was hilarious to him that he was cited because he wrote that song partly about the people at the GOP debates. He's against both sides. He he mm. is maybe not a centrist, but he's some third thing, which we all love the sound of there being a third thing. But that third thing is turning into him posing with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the conspiracy adult alternative Democrat candidate. And so he seems like he's representing this sort of like conspiracy minded internet ideology that ends up benefiting the right wing, even though it might not be consciously aiming to do so. It really is in the end about owning the libs in a way Mm. and pushing it back against urban or progressive or pluralistic ideals. So it's it's a bit of a sticky with that song. Um, And I'm just kind of I'm really curious of what's going to happen with him if he's going to run for president or destroy the country or be our Mm. savior or or Mm. be the next great pop star or disappear and be a one hit wonder. It could go a lot of different ways. So stay tuned. All right. So that's kind of like an overview of like what this sort of thematic energy or maybe even like the vibe of a lot of 
what maybe is powering some of this success. But I want to talk a little bit about this as music. Your piece gets into this too. And maybe we can use Zach Bryan as maybe kind of a counterexample or something as a way to sort of get into like, is country music or our country aesthetics gaining purchase in mainstream pop in a way that is not just tied to this sort of thematic concern, but has something to do with the way that country aesthetics are molding themselves onto broader mainstream pop aesthetics. I mean, your article gets into the fact that this music is drawing on grunge, it's drawing on rock, it's drawing on hip hop in many instances, you know, genres or subgenres of pop that have historically had a lot more purchase on the pop charts. So can you talk a little bit about the music? I mean, you you got into this in broad strokes at the beginning of the conversation, but a little more brass tacks. Like, is there musical levers that are being pulled here or specific musical ideas that these artists are employing that are also aiding in this moment where country is dominating pop music charts in this way? Yeah, it's an interesting question of whether this is at all breaking through because there's some hunger out there for country music as music. You know, and I think we should say maybe before you even get into this that like, I think and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe we're both on the same side of this divide. So maybe it's like, you know, we, we can yeah. use a dissenting voice. <laughs> it feels to me like, at least from my perspective as a pop fan, that country has always felt very cordoned off. And I think that's part of why this moment feels so unique is that I think we've all always been aware that country is a giant adjacent mm -hmm. ecosystem to pop music. Like we all know that like country's huge in other places, quote unquote, if you're me and you grew up in New York City, or I, I mean, I don't know what your background is, but if you kind of go up outside of that bubble, you're like aware that country is huge and that there's this whole kind of mm -hmm. like separate maybe but equal sorry not to like invoke you know triggering terminology oh, sure, yeah. but it is kind of feel relevant kind of world of country music that like sometimes there'll be a cross-pollination like every once in a while there'll be a Shania Twain or a Taylor Swift that comes along or even like a Florida Georgia line or whatever but for the most part these two things remain separate so you know that's kind of an important maybe ground layer to sort of set up my question that I asked you earlier so anyway go ahead I just want to sort of put that out there as that that kind of feels like pretense to why we want to ask questions about why all of a sudden country music has so much value to mainstream pop listeners. Yeah. If it does. Yeah. I mean, I would get Darpe asking, like, what is the mainstream anymore? You know, like, right, right. Jason Aldean's song, you're not going to hear in the supermarket, probably. You're not going to hear like Oliver Anthony in the supermarket. You will hear Morgan Wall in the supermarket. Morgan Wall is the artist who's most in conversation with whatever we might think of as the pop center. Right. He sounds a lot like Drake. Probably tell him we're a burnt out flame. Probably tell him that I ain't been on your mind. I ain't nothing but a long gone thing. You can cuss my name, but baby, don't you lie. When you're tasting what he's drinking, are you thinking about me? He sounds a lot like Taylor Swift sometimes. The thing that's different with him, it's mostly related to identity. And right. that's how that identity is expressed in his sound. He has a really, really, really strong twang. I don't even know if you'd call it a twang, but it's, it's a kind of way of singing that I know some of my New York City friends cannot stand one second of, but mm. it really just marks the voice as representing something different than maybe what the drums would imply, you know, the drums being trap drums. Right. And his cadences, I mean, he often yes. sounds like he's rapping. I mean, I think you could qualify some of what Morgan Wallen does as rapping, essentially. Yes, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Last night, something about it like kind of reminds me of someone like Shaggy or something, where there's kind totally. of like a syncopated lilt to it. There's also the 
element of the persona that he's getting across in his songs, where it is absolutely a familiar male archetype. It's not quite like a swaggering bro who has everything in control. It's more like a sad sack who's trying to get back with his girlfriend because the girlfriend left him because he really is kind of a sleaze. Yeah, so Drake. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, very Drake. It's very Drake. And so right. that's not the kind of persona that maybe I gravitate towards when right. I listen to pop music, but I, I think sure. a lot of people do. It, it's relatable right. to a lot of people's lives in different ways. And we should note a lot of people that aren't necessarily country fans, like people, yes. it's a legible persona to people that are into more traditionally crossover successful kind of pop moment songs. Yeah. And it's about partying. A lot of the music's about drinking and having fun. So it kind right. of slots into a lot of different environments pretty easily. But the other thing I would say about this wave is that it is a wave of storytelling songs and mm. story songs. And we're in a big, big moment for that. People want storytelling in their music. They want a sense of literalism and narrative and, and really feeling like they know the person behind the microphone. Totally. This is something that's kind of washed over more traditional pop stardom in the past few years where metaphor is out and big Katy Perry style sloganeering is out. Right. And Right. Everyone wants to be the girl in their bedroom in the vein of Taylor Swift, in the vein of Lord, in the vein of Billie Eilish, in the vein of Olivia mm -hmm. Rodrigo. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that is a common point for this wave. Zach Bryan is, again, like the one with the hipster cred. And that's because he has this incredible character to his voice and an incredible character to his music where it really feels like every song is this work of art that is poured out of him. Mm. Authenticity is something that we say is a construct. And I, I basically believe it's not a real thing to prop up or not, but he has that authentic flavor that we can say people want in a lot of different genres right now. Hey, driver, the boys are gambling with more than just their cars, with their bottles and their drugs and their Bibles in their hearts. So take me down the road, it's a little bit wide to a place they still put sugar in their eyes to where the women are fine and the love is fair Yeah, driver, you can drive me off anywhere you know, whether it's authenticity or the performance of authenticity or the performance of transparency or whatever it is, this feeling that like, in a way, as you were mentioning, Katy Perry sloganeering, I might say it as kind of like bulletproof, kind of like Max mm. Martin faceless pop bobble perfection is out and less valuable than ever. And that artists and pop stars can build careers, sometimes even avoiding chart success altogether, but can, you know, like I, you know, I think Billie Eilish is an interesting example. I think frequently of a pop star, of course, who has had hit singles, but really whose career does not churn on like having number one billboard hits. Pop mm -hmm. stardom as a world building exercise and also an exercise of sort of like playing directly to your sort of sizable cult following, you know, like where the fans feel directly invested in the project of your pop stardom and feel as though they're involved and know you. You know, Taylor's obviously like the ultimate example of this. I, I've talked about this a bunch, but I'm so struck on the era's tour by the language she uses with the fans all the time of like, we've been through so much mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. over the last 15 years, you know, that kind of shit. So, uh, so I think that's interesting as an application here. Our last night and try that in a small town and Richmond, north of Richmond, are these good songs? Let's say removing them from even the context of what they're about. Like, would these songs be catchy or memorable outside of the context we're talking about? Whether that be the sort of political firebrand nature of them or the fact that like there's a cult that is forming around 
either these artists or this wave of music that feels that it wants to support it because there's some sort of personal connection occurring between the stands and these artists in particular or the stands and this kind of ethos in particular or something like that. Like, do you think that these songs function on their own as quality songs in your estimation? Like, how do you think about that? And are there, are, do you register different ones differently? How do you like these songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say in writing about them, I have come to the opinion that they are all very catchy songs. <laughs> like right. they have all right. gotten in my head and sort right. of ruined entire weeks of my life. <laughs> uh, and we all worship at the altar of catchiness, but it's sort of, it's a trick. It's a mathematical trick that music plays on your brain. And we are not lacking for catchy music in the world. A lot of catchy music doesn't get heard. A lot of catchy music doesn't become hits. What's giving these things the activation energy is the cultural context and sort of distribution channels that have been built up for this kind of music. Yeah, they're all catchy. Whether they're all good songs from a critical perspective, I have different opinions on different ones. I feel like, <laughs> a terrible person for liking Morgan Wallen's music, but I kind of do, you know. <laughs> no, and... no, no, no. That does not make you a terrible person. Not at all. <laughs> or like... I absolve you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. He's uncancelable, apparently. So, you know, I'm not going to be mad if I hear last night at the supermarket. He loves the double entendre. He loves kind of flip around the perspective of a song midway through sort of Swiftian tactics. And I can appreciate that. Zach Bryan, I enjoy. He scratches the itch of mine that is like where I don't go to like listen to Arcade Fire that much anymore or I'll sometimes dip into Bruce Springsteen but like that's sort of like male feelings rock indie thing that I for a while kind of ruled my life right. he's almost like a nostalgic pleasure to me and he's a witty songwriter there's a lot of thought he's talked about how he's a writer first and before he's a musician and how he really pours over every lyric and you hear that in the songwriting and I think that that is partly what's differentiating him this is not about songwriting but he's really charismatic and likable and he's a sort of like not a new archetype but one we haven't seen in a while where he's like a chivalry bro he was he, mm. you know, he, he's ex-military <laughs> he seems like really nice and like to operate by like a code of honor or something but he's also like rowdy and flirts with girls and there's just something that's kind of old school but slightly enlightened about him he just got in this weird tiff with a police officer where he was being lippy to a police officer and they booked him and then he right. like did this sort of really fall on his knees apology to the world so he's kind of like almost playing both sides of the cultural fence, even when it comes to the question of how you feel about law enforcement. Right. So there's something sort of like vexing and intriguing about him as a star. He almost seems to be like coding as like a Casey Musgraves-esque figure, like a male Casey Musgraves. I mean, they know they have a song together right now. The way that like there's a certain brand of country star, whether it's like Marin Morris or Casey Musgraves, who gets kind of like folded into the more kind of alt girly pop space like in a way and like kind of gets kind of like a special almost like dispensation or sort of like a hall pass to become like embraced by as you said like kind of hipster culture it feels like zach bryan is kind of like filling a male version of that at least for some people yes yeah i think i think he is for now so it's sort of a balancing act that we'll see if he can kind of pull off as he goes forward just like he's walking a cultural land minefield, I think. Sure. So we'll see if he steps on one of those mines, but I'm liking it so far. How do you think the fast car cover fits into this conversation? Because I was wondering about that. It's like, I've had interesting vibes about that. And again, I don't really know that much about Luke Combs, but there is something fascinating about a white male country artist cover of a black woman's song becoming like a more successful version than the original is weird feeling to me. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Your arm feel nice wrapped around my shoulder and I 
What's your read on the success of Fast Car and how that kind of plays into all of these trends? Yeah, I guess I'd start with the musical side of it. Part of the story of this country music boom is the pandemic. Country did well during the pandemic. People wanted to listen to country music. Its streams rose. And that, is, in my understanding, is both because it's kind of like old guard audience finally got on the internet and started streaming. But also anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of people who started listening to country music during the pandemic because it was nice and soothing. It's essentially mm. a certain kind of country music mm. fills the spot of adult contemporary. And that's what the fast car cover is doing for people. It's just a really nice song that's familiar. It's like a coffee house cover. You know, you like go to like totally. a, you go to a restaurant, and they're playing all these like acoustic covers of EDM songs or whatever. And it's like, yeah, coffee house core. It's right. a very good version of that. Luke Combs is a very good soulful singer. Mm -hmm. And he brings that kind of like male soulfulness to this soul folk classic. And there's no reason not to bop along and sing along and, and feel some feelings when you're listening. Also, once a great song, always a great song. I mean, Fast Car is just also a banger. 100%. And, yeah. you know, it retroactively shows Fast Car to be a country song or like have all the DNA mm. of a country song. This kind of like down on your luck narrative mm. about like wanting mm. to get away and, and like start mm. over again. And a storytelling song mm. and, you know, like kind of the, the plucked guitar lead, the whole thing. Yep, 100%. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then, right, there's the other side of it, which is the culture, war, identity, politics side, where some people have noted that black women have never had that kind of success in country music. And then even noting that has sparked a backlash and it's so tiresome. We can't even be honest about these things, it seems like. Mm. Straightforwardly, Tracy Chapman could not have the success that Luke Combs has had. There's no one like Tracy Chapman who's ever succeeded in country music like these guys are. So it just does feel like at the end of the day, I mean, I guess the only exception sort of being Zach Bryan as sort of like someone that's playing both sides of the fence. But it seems like at the end of the day, at least in some way, I mean, even if you are talking about Zach Bryan's running with the police recently or whatever it is, or supporting of the police or however you want to frame that exact yeah. <laughs> like incident, there is this kind of instance where all of the country that is having success, and I want to be clear, this is not the totality of country music. I mean, country music, mm -hmm. when you dig into it, is filled with all different kinds of characters, and there's women, and there's black women, and there's black men, and there's, there's, there's all kinds of country artists out there working today. But it is impossible to avert your eyes from the fact that there is a very specific group of men, you know, just identity-wise, that have had this level of success. And also, each of them comes with, you know, some form of conversation around their identity or connection to the political landscape of the current moment. Even Zach Brian, who maybe is trying to play both sides of it, that conversation still feels inherent to this boomlet, to this movement. There's a political energy to this. So my question is, looking ahead at this and like what this all pretends, do you see this as the beginning of something? Do you see this as a blip? Mm. Do you see this as softening the ground for other types of country songs to potentially get more purchase in popular music culture? Perhaps now that these songs, for whatever reason, they're having their success or at least kind of acclimating people's ears to certain country aesthetics that are in the mix right now like what do you see as the future of this sort of moment like is this the beginning of something something that we'll look back on as a very brief thing like how do you see what's unfurling here it feels strange and fluky but it also feels like in some ways just part of a much longer cycle we go through these phases where the music industry rediscovers white men and that mm. people and that they are <laughs> the identity <laughs> class that you can market the most easily in america even in 2023 America, that's the case. But it calls back to the alt-rock moment of the 90s and, and of the early 2000s when these men expressing pain mm. were pop sensations. Right. You know, what's later on top of that is a culture war. And 
that's what's new. So what's to come, I'm, I'm really bad at prediction. <laughs> so the, <laughs> you know, it, it feels like there will be a lot of copycat syndrome for a while. Right. And we maybe have a new long running star in Zach Bryan, but the wheel will turn. It's just a question of when, mm. you know, and I'm curious of whether this opens the lane for women to succeed in right. country music in a way they haven't for a number of years. So far, indications are not great, but if Casey <laughs> Musgraves does have her first number one single due to Zach Bryan. Mm-hmm. You have Lainey Wilson kind of bubbling up the charts, who's a female country singer. It might be a rising tide lifts all boats in that way, but anyone other than white men in this genre, when it comes to the very, very mainstream, they're just facing an incredible amount of obstacles and biases and it's hard. All right. So maybe as a final question for you, you obviously spent a lot of time listening to these artists over the times you were working on this piece and developing your stories for The Atlantic. I'm curious if there's a song you admitted that you're a a closeted Morgan Wallen fan (laughs) or maybe not closeted anymore. Is there a specific song, like a lesser known song by one of these artists, I guess Morgan Wallen, if we could go with him, that you just sort of feel like is worth listening to or that sort of highlights maybe like some of the better musical aspects of this journey for you? Yeah. But, you know, it is embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just because <laughs> so yeah, the song is Morgan Wallen's More Than My Hometown. Mm. You know, I've kind of alluded to this. It's a song about him being in love with this girl and she goes to the big city and he's, he has all these like wonderful metaphors describe like how much he loves her. But the one thing he doesn't love her more than is his own hometown. Mm. And it's this kind of like rollicking pop rock song that seems like it could have come out in the 90s when music was actually good. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But I love the 90s. Um, okay. Yeah. So more than my hometown, Morgan Wallen, cancel me. Okay, great. Spencer Kornhaber, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, I love you How good is this episode? It's good, right? Well, great news, because if you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love what we're doing over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where for five bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of our show weekly. You heard that right? Every single week, we're dropping more of the same searing in-depth combos you love about all your most anticipated new albums by stars like Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and Tate McRae, just to name a few, parsing apart all the newest pop singles in our famous new music speed rounds, and of course, course, diving deep on your favorite classic albums like Madonna's Hard Candy, Christina Aguilera's Stripped, and so much more, all with your favorite pop pantheon guests. All this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So sign up at the icon tier now at patreon.com slash pop pantheon, or simply by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. You won't regret it. All right, so I'm here with journalist and author Marissa R. Moss, who is the author of the newsletter Don't Rock the Inbox, which is a country music newsletter, and has her book out right now, which is called Her Country, How the Woman of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be. Marissa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So I was just explaining this to you, but we just did a segment earlier in the episode that was exploring the way that country music, but specifically a very specific brand of country music and a very specific type of country music 
music artist is having a massive crossover moment on the pop chart. So we're talking about everyone from Morgan Wallen to Jason Aldean, et cetera, et cetera. So country's kind of having a big moment on pop radio and a big moment in mainstream pop, but also it feels like it's only a very specific element of country that's getting this level of sort of mainstream attention. So we thought that was a good moment to speak to you as someone who's a country expert and someone who's actually written about communities in the country space that aren't necessarily just like white cis dudes (laughs) to come on and maybe help turn our audience on to a few artists that are not those artists that feel worthy of our attention and that are breaking the mold a little bit on like what sort of like the traditional country pop star is, I guess. Maybe my first question for you would be, what do you make of that whole movement of these sort of guys having this moment in pop? Like, how has that hit you? Like, what's that been like for you as a country fan? Like, what do you make of that whole phenomenon that's been happening? Woof, it's been a summer. Yeah, the the wide variety of white straight men hitting the country charts. I mean, it's kind of wild. It's weird because once country music gets to the point where it's like hitting the pop radar, then everyone starts talking about it and is interested and invested in it. And not a lot of people have a really, you know, deep knowledge of country music. So that can be a little bit frustrating coming from my perspective. White straight men have always reigned supreme in country music and they are really lifted up by country radio and the machine here in Nashville. And it's just kind of a convergence of a lot of different wild elements allowing them to make this sort of mainstream cultural crossover. But uh, I interviewed an artist recently and I asked him about this. And it's Jason Isbell. I think it's okay Mm. to say that because it'll be out by the time this podcast come out. But I asked him about it and he was like, you know, white guy's going to white guy. They have the tools. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Always so wise. Yes. So what is the kind of history of that? I mean, if someone's not a real super well-versed country person, like let's say this audience, I'm sure there's exceptions, but for the large part, more focused on quote unquote mainstream pop as we know it today, they probably know Shania and Garth Brooks and Faith Hill and whatever. But just for anyone that doesn't understand, like traditionally you mentioned this already, but like country music or popular country music tends to focus very heavily on white cis straight guys. So like, is there important moments in history where that happens? has changed where are we now with that like is there any sort of breakthrough happening in the country space for artists for women for black artists for perhaps lgbtq plus artists like what has been the history of that and just very broadly and like where are we now with that in like the country world yeah where do i start well i'll try to condense this into the quickest possible answer to that great question i mean country music has been designed from the get-go to be essentially a medium of segregation when it was founded it was divided into hillbilly records for white people and race records for black people so it was founded in racism so when you have that kind of start and you never reckon with it, you're always going to bloom from that origins. There was a period in the 90s, like you mentioned, with Shania and Trisha Yearwood and Reba and all these really amazing women crossing over into country radio. And then that hit the early 2000s and declined super sharply and barely mm. ever came up again. We had the incident mm. with the Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie mm-hmm. Chicks, speaking out against the Iraq War. We had Bro Country. We had the Telecommunications Act in 1996 that sort of really screwed everything up when it came 
came to programming. One of the frustrating things that are happening right now because of this big pop moment, it's exciting because country music is getting a big spotlight. But right. it's, as you mentioned, it's all cishet white men and the women aren't doing any better on country radio. Women are played mm. like less than 10% of the time on country mm. radio, never back to back, barely more than mm. one woman per hour. Always mm. a white woman. I mean, always mm. a white woman, always a straight woman. So at the same time that it's having this moment, it's also not making any real tangible progress in the mainstream. That's the mainstream. And we're mm. going to talk about this later, but there's so many other incredible sure. artists making amazing country music roots music all across the spectrum right so these things are happening at the same time that you have like oliver anthony and jason aldean out there singing like maga anti-welfare <laughs> anthems and then you also have like incredible moments and in amazing artists really pushing the genre forward so yes it's all happening at once yeah i, I think you know it's so interesting because it reminds me so much maybe of an adjacent thing that's happening in pop where it's like because of the streaming ecosystem and the accessibility of music to people there's kind of like a long tail of the genre that creates more space for other things to thrive and yes it's deeply problematic that these things can't find their way into the mainstream and obviously like that's a big issue in country but it's also still an issue even in mainstream pop we, we talk a lot on the show about how there's kind of like this whole world of like niche pop stars who like don't particularly take over the charts you know whether we're talking about charlie xcx or there's a massive kind of ecosystem of these stars now that like don't necessarily find their way into radio playlists per se but like have like a thriving career on the margins and i wonder if maybe the same thing is happening in country question mark i guess like is that kind of where some of the artists we're going to talk about today exist yeah and i mean the one tricky thing about country is that the degree to which country radio still matters right you know it is like the number one predictor of success and market share and all of that in the mainstream and country music still it's country radio mm. i think i hope like hope fingers crossed knock on wood that that will change but for now, it's still really holding strong. And like someone like Morgan Wallen, because country radio boosted him so much, he was able to get to the point that he is in this kind of crossover moment. I don't yeah. think he could have just like blossomed out of nowhere. Of course, Fudge Round's guy did. So I don't know. It's like, I mean, <laughs> I'm meaning my words, but <laughs> the power of country radio is still so strong. Right. So there's still this kind of centralized ecosystem that's like doesn't necessarily provide a lot of like alternative spaces. Yeah. For these people to thrive. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of the artists. You have shared a list of a few country artists that you feel have flown under the radar, and it's something that you cover a lot in your newsletter. So I'm just going to read off a couple of them to you, and I just would love for you to highlight who these artists are, why you like them, like what they're doing that you feel like is interesting and worthy of our attention and perhaps more attention than they're getting right now in mainstream country. And these are all artists that are not cis hat white straight men so the first one that we have is roberta leah who's a virginia-based 37 year old a former member of the black opry what do you like about roberta and what is she doing that you find intriguing roberta to me she's super all these folks that we picked here are super talented great songwriters yeah. she is mm -hmm. like and i think we'll talk about this when we get to another artist on the list named britney spencer is mm -hmm. so like in a just world should be having her songs appear on 
on country radio mm. because she's a woman, primarily because she's a black woman. She's mm-hmm. in her later 30s, but primarily because she's a black woman. That is mm-hmm. not happening for her. She's a smart songwriter. She can be a funny songwriter. She can be really tender and cutting. She's a great voice. She weaves in 90s country elements, but she brings in a very strong like pop sensibility to her writing too. She can write a catchy ass country song. If I'm too much of a woman, you can kindly step aside. A true king can handle me. He's got what it takes inside. Well, I hate to disappoint you. By now, you should understand. If I'm too much of a woman, boy, you're too little of a man. She has this song called Sweet Baby Ray, which is sort of like a play on her husband and the like Ray sauce brand. Like it's so funny and like sweet and clever. And every time I see her, I'm just like, why isn't this on country radio? I know why. We know why. It's obvious right. why. But she's one that's just like, you're all, you're like in a just world. This will work on country radio. Because there's some of these artists that we'll talk about that are not shooting for country radio. They're more right, kind of like right. indie, quote, uh, you know, outlaw, whatever you want to call it. But this one should, you know, like there's no reason yeah. why it wouldn't sound good on country radio. What was interesting to me, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with any of these artists and I just took time this weekend listening to them is that I agree with you. Like her songs are very straightforward. They're catchy. They're melodically really well done. They obviously driving at like massive ear wormy hooks but what's so interesting is she kind of puts her sort of identity really front and center in the music which feels like you know it's not just that she's a black woman country artist it's like that clearly is a huge part of like what these songs are about like you know she talks about that very explicitly like in her work and I wonder if that's also part of sort of the challenge that she's facing in terms of any sort of mainstream country radio acceptance I mean I haven't spoken to her about this but I imagine that like you look at the situation you say okay I'm a black woman in country music I can either sing my truth and sing to an audience that needs to see me out there speaking about my experience as a black woman and the realities of the world that we live in. Or I can sing some sort of fake existence where I'm trying to pretend, like whitewash who I am. They're not going to play you on country radio either way. So (laughs) you might as well tell the truth, you know, and open the door for people be someone that represents someone that we don't see out there in country music. You know, you might as well put yourself out there. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's as someone who's, you know, just a very, uh, you know, I'm a country fan, but I'm no expert. It is kind of shocking to hear somebody talk that explicitly about their black female identity in the context of kind of like a mainstream catchy country pop song like it's not something that I had been used to hearing and again I know I could be out of the loop for sure but I for me just as someone who has interest in country but is not like a an expert in it it was fascinating to hear that sort of perspective in the confines of these sort of songs and don't forget we learn about those birds and bees on these ghetto country streets Shout out to Mickey Guyton for putting yes. out Black Like Me and and yes. really, I think, showing the possibilities. You know, it's the cliche in country music, three chords and the truth, right? And there's five billion versions of that truth that we should see out yes. there. All right, so you brought up Britney Spencer. This is an artist who worked as a background singer and toured with Carrie Underwood. She was nominated for a CMT award in 2022 for her performance of her song Sober and Skinny. And she's often been kind of outspoken about the struggles in the industry as a plus-size black woman. So what do you 
like about Britney's music. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what she does and why she's of interest to you. Britney, she's been amazing to watch. I first saw her, she posted a cover of Crowded Table by the High Women during mm. COVID lockdown. Brandy Carlisle, Amanda Shires, Natalie Hamby, Maren Morris, Supergroup, the High Women, sure. and just killed it. And they all responded to her like, you know, come join, come sing with us. And I'm sure she was like, sure, whatever, ladies. You know, cut to now, she, every time the High Women appear on stage, like Britney Spencer's up there singing with them. She is perfect for country's sort of pop crossover moment right now. Another one that like would fit in perfectly with country radio right now. But in a perfect world, you get sober, I get skinny. We live off for more than pennies. Writing checks that we can cash. Keeping all our promises. We got faith, we got each other. We grow up and we get better. Things need fixing, we got plenty. When you get sober, I'll get skinny. Another thing that I love about her is like, she's sort of become this like, I don't know, like Emmylou Harris. Like she appears everywhere. Mm. Like everyone loves to sing with her and be on stage with her. So like she's jamming with like members of the Grateful Dead. And then she's on stage with the High Women. And she's like mm. singing with Lainey Wilson or who, like anyone you could think of. Like she's just always popping up because I think everyone loves to sing with her. She's super talented. She's really magnetic. She's coming out out with a single from her upcoming album. I think it'll be out in 2024. I'm not exactly sure. But I saw her sing it at Brandy Carlisle's Girls Just Want a Weekend Festival mm. in Mexico. It's sort of got that traditional like country thing where you're shouting out like all the different country artists. And it's like a little bit like Marin Morris's My Church in that way where mm. you're like country songs about country music and it's like interesting this should be a hit like it's got all the markers shouts out reba but then she like shouts out other you know markers that are like important to her too and i think she's really one that like will further show the country industry's stupidity if like they are not able to invest in her talent and like everyone's love for her that you just keep seeing like everyone wants to sing with Britney Spencer and write with Britney Spencer. Mm. So she's having a certain degree of sort of embraced by more legacy country acts at the moment. Yeah, definitely the artists. I don't know yeah, how Music right. Row feels Especially about Especially female her. artists, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, she's great. And just like, yeah. just so magnetic and like, she's got it. I don't know. Every time I see her for the first time, you're just like, this is a star. And a really lovely voice. Really enjoyed her singing voice a lot. Yeah. And yeah. just sounds good on the radio. Like, mm -hmm. easy mm -hmm. to listen to in yeah. your car or whatever you yeah. know that you're supposed to do totally that was where i was listening to it yesterday actually yeah all right so next up we have margot price who's someone who has had a certain degree of success she frames herself as quote-unquote psychedelic country music she was nominated for best new artist at the grammys in 2018 she released her fourth album strays this past january so what's margot price's deal i put her on here because i you know she's more established in her career at this right. point, but just kind of as someone to show what can happen when you just sort of screw the entire Nashville system and you do your own thing, which is what Margot right. has done. She's kind of said F you to Nashville and country radio and all that. Is that kind of a Casey Musgraves sort of path that she's following in some ways? Yeah, but even more Casey Musgraves for a while did try to get on country, although she didn't kiss any asses for sure. But, right. you know, Margot Price is an even on a Nashville country 
label. Got it. She's just kind of really gone. I guess like the word we'd like to use is outlaw. It's kind of a cheese ball word. But she, you know, this past weekend was like, you know, hanging out with Willie Nelson at Farm Aid. She's like the first woman to right. be on the board at Farm Aid. And mm. she put out this, I guess it, it's kind of rock and roll kind of country album, Strays, that's like so uniquely her. She has like a real signature lane that she's made for herself. To me, she's one of the best performers out there. She's like absolutely magnetic on stage. And I just love her. Like, I love everything she stands for. She's a mom. I have two young kids too. And she's like out there, you know, on stage in this like Tina Turner-esque, like little teen <laughs> outfit. And then like, she'll post pictures of that. And then she'll like post a picture of like hanging out with her kids and like talking candidly about how hard it is to be a working mom. And like, that has been super meaningful to me too. And I just love her. And I think she just shows kind of like the path that can be had if you don't even try to cater to all of the bullshit. Totally. I also really loved her song with Sharon Von Ett and it's interesting to see her sort of like cross-pollinating with like the indie folk, indie rock kind of crowd, like just on that collaboration. It's yeah, a really nice so song good, right? Radio. I love that song. Yeah, love that song. So good. All right. So we also have another Margot on this list. This is Margot Soker, who is a Washington-based singer-songwriter. She released her debut album in 2021 that became, I guess, kind of like a word-of-mouth sleeper hit. And she has a new album called Valley of Hearts. So what did you want to highlight about this Margot, the other Margot? Yeah, two Margots, right? So different. I fell in love with her last record. I talk about things that are hard to pronounce. Like, I don't even try to pronounce her. Yeah. Google her it's, first it's, record because it, I will yeah, butcher it. I've tried to pronounce it on like other poho yeah that's that's it um yeah. <laughs> i've tried i always screw it up now i'm just like google the first record mm -hmm. like you said it was like super under the radar i turned that on it was like one of those moments i remember distinctly the first time i heard the first sergio simpson record and mm. the first time i put on tyler childers and I think mm. the first time I put on Hurtin' on the Bottle by Margot Price, first time I put on Golden Hour, some mm. of those records that you're just like, holy crap. Yeah, this was, right. I had the same experience with Margot Silker. And if you're looking for something that's like way more on the country end of things, not super rock right. influence, more kind of... I kind of hate to say traditional country, but she leans into, you know, country instrumentation and folk and has this like really interesting voice and lyrical perspective. I'm just like a massive fan. There's like a little bit of like a John Prine thing mm. going on sometimes. I'm a huge fan. She's just like a go-to for me ever since that first album came out that I will not try to pronounce. Um, but Valley of Hearts Delight, her album that came out, I can actually say all of those words on a good day. Another really excellent album. She seems like she's gotten a lot of like critical embrace, but like what's her sort of position in the country for a moment? Like has she had success? Like what is, her? I'm interested just because she does seem like, as you mentioned, that was my first thought on her was like, she's the most kind of traditionalist seeming, but like not in a boring way, but just more in like a, I don't know, consummate historian of the genre kind of way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you're right. She's had definite critical acclaim. I definitely don't think she's gotten the platform 
that she deserves yet and sort of right. the wider recognition. There's been some great pieces like a Jonathan Bernstein wrote a great feature on her over at Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. It's weird because then if you're like, you kind of have to be in the like the cool outlaw group right. or whatever if you're not right. in the mainstream country group. And right, right. She's just kind of right. chills like on her doing her own thing. <laughs> and maybe that's part of what I find really appealing about her. She's just like out, you know, mm. live like hanging out in the Pacific Northwest, like writing songs and doing whatever. And it, yeah. she's just like, traditional but not like throwback and annoying right really enjoyed her music that was really good i have to say that was one of my favorite things that i listened to in this group of artists all right so last up we have adeem the artist they are a north carolina based non-binary pansexual performer they've been releasing albums independently for over 10 years and they put out their first record with a major label or with a label at all in 2022 which was called white trash revelry so what do you like about adeem i mean obviously having a non-binary performer in the country space an openly non-binary performer is unique in and of itself so maybe you could talk a little bit about how unique that is and also that what you like about them as an artist yeah and adeem's album before white trash revelry their last album was called cast iron pansexual it's like talk about an <laughs> album name i mean come on yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good i one. remember when i was like i'm gonna be so bummed if this album isn't good because that is such a great album name yeah, and of course yeah. the album was amazing so I was like Phew. Mm -hmm. but I mean Adeem to me they're an incredible lyricist and songwriter if you like Everl, Hayes Carl, mm. American Aquarium like that kind of vibe you will love Adeem what I love about them also is they find it very important to speak about how important it is to open the door for all right. kinds of voices in country music and full force without any bullshit saying the like really right. brutal truths that need to be said and i love that about adeem and there's such a range of the songs on this record on cast iron pansexual songs that are super duper cutting like political protest anthems mm. and mm -hmm. songs that are just great little country songs Nights get longer the days stay hard it hits like a bullet through the middle of a heart it's like a bullet through the middle of a heart. They can do everything on either extreme and all the way in between. At one point, Brandy Carlisle was like a deem the artist, mm. one of the, you know, the best songwriters out there. And she's great. And I think they're just so important for this moment, for what they're doing for country music and just the country music that they are putting out there because it is what country music should be doing, which is speaking mm. in and to the moment. Country music shouldn't be like super stuck in the past. It should be right. responding to the moment. Right. in the way that country music does with the truth again and right. i just think they're super important artists for many different reasons and one that i listen to a lot i just find myself listening to those records a lot is there or has there ever been an out non-cisgender country artist in this regard before like are they the first of their kind in a way i mean to reach this level of notoriety mm -hmm. i would say i'm always so nervous to erase yes, of course, people of but course. i mean in terms of in terms of yeah as you were saying sort of garnering this level of attention or being recognized even by a brandy carlisle or like you know having these kind of eyes on yeah them. nadim has been touring with american aquarium and opening for jason right. isbell and right. was wearing tyler childers suit at the americana awards this past right. week so right. to be at the level that they're performing and performing with 
Definitely. And I've already kind of see it play out yeah. in how they're opening doors for other people to feel like they can be themselves in country music. Right. You see people right. already referencing a deem as an influence. And I, I don't know how old they are, but they're not that old and not yeah. like me. Um, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's really unique too, to, to, to see people yeah. out there pointing to someone that's as young as Adim is and saying that they're an influence for me already. Yeah. That's already changing things. Do you see hope for artists like Adim or any of the artists today? Like, is there any sort of lane that you could see opening up for these artists to get some more mainstream attention? Like, do you feel hope about the sort of deeply entrenched world of Nashville and Nashville radio? Like, are there beams of light in your mind? I am like on an eternal seesaw between total despair and pessimism <laughs> and like want to like just close myself in a closet. I have those days, fudge rounds, Jason uh, Aldean days, like where I just don't ever want to come out of the hole and I want to die and that's it. Um, <laughs> Truth. Um, Honestly, that could apply to both this conversation and life in general. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then other days I feel incredibly hopeful. And a lot of times there's like no in between. And it's like, right. I think because those worlds don't cross over at all. You know, there's like on the right. Venn diagram of those sides, there's no like middle section where they cross over. They right. are like two separate circles on other sides of the earth doing their own thing. Right. I mean, you have organizations like Black Opry here, which is, you know, created by Holly G. And she works to platform Black artists and mm. queer Black artists. It's like a traveling review when they've been at Newport Folk and festivals all over. And just like, I see that and I'm like, holy crap. And every time I go to a Black Opry show, that's was where I first saw Roberta Leah and was like totally mm. blown away. Mm. So that you see a Deem, you see Margot Price just killing it out there. I mean, you even see what Maren Morris is doing and in yes, right. her lunatics. Maren and Casey, I feel like are, you know, beacons of light and some way for, absolutely for and casey and mickey guyton and you yeah, see all of these things and you can feel incredibly hopeful brandy carlisle of course i don't really classify her as country she's kind of mm. a godly being to me of many <laughs> right. genre yeah. but yeah and I, and I always say it's kind of cheesy but like when i need hope i put on a record when mm. i have the days where i'm like i see jason aldean and his hair extension wife and fudge runs guy and all of that i'm like this is so awful i go and i put on a record and mm. i mm. remember that there is so much good music being made by so many different kinds of people and that is the light and there's yeah. so much like back in the mm. day like you know you're lucky to have like five good records at a time and now i could play like you know, we can't, we were talking about a list. You could talk about 30 different right, artists right now, all over the map. And that's the hope. But yeah, it's, it's an up and down journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is amazing that all of these people exist and that they're out here making great music that we can all listen to. And it's there for us to take. And, you know, things can seem really entrenched until one day things change. So let's hold the candle out for that. I don't know if they see themselves in this way or, or I sort of need them to be this, but like when something terrible happens in the mainstream country space, like a deem, and I'm sure this is kind of a crappy pressure to have in some ways too, but like always comes up with an amazing response, like almost for their community. Like it's something for right. everyone to look at and be like, you, a deem like has something to say for us and like the response we need. And I just love that. But they put out another song that I don't think was on a record recently either called What if we stayed, I think it is. 
And mm. it's sort of about the idea of thinking about, you know, what if we stayed in the South? What if we stayed in these places that are passing, you know, laws that threaten the sheer existence of people like Adim, of, of trans people, of trans kids, of women, of queer folks? And what if we stayed, you know, what if we stayed? And as someone that lives in Tennessee and thinks about this stuff a lot, that song just kind of floored me. I just bought a new house here in Nashville and we thought about leaving for a really long time. And every time we'd kind of go to look at the house or I'd drive around, I, I put on that song lately and just kind of thought about like, what does it mean for us to stay here and raise our kids here? Mm. Of course, I always reserve the right to leave. If shit gets too mm -hmm. bad, I will leave. Mm -hmm. um, I, re mm -hmm. I reserve the right to change my mind. But for now, sure. And, you know, with the privilege that I have as a white woman and what if we stayed? And that one's really powerful, too. But yeah, Adim is just such an amazing kind of like soaks in what's going culturally and like what we need them to absorb and respond to and just like kind of does it on our mm. behalf all the time. All right. I love that. Spirit. What if we go out on what if we stayed? I think that's a nice note for us to end, yeah. end this conversation on. I love that. All right. Marissa R. Moss, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm not honestly sure. We belong here Don't know if there's good we can do Sometimes I believe that our hands are all tied To a system that ravages me and you What if this city did love us? What if we...